The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie and the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 67 An Abstraction of the Truth 1865 May 10th, Carson City, Nevada. The bar was closed, but Euricity had no plan on leaving. Not tonight. Edgar was upstairs sleeping in Orpheus's apartment. Euricity had arranged for a private poker game. He even hired a dealer for the night. Orpheus was last to sit down. Okay, Lee, let me introduce you. You know Andrew, and next to him is Frankie, who runs the parrot, and there's Nathan. He owns the northern stage. It's a theater. Eurystice pulled Orpheus's chair out for him. Orpheus sat, then looked back and forth among the men. Gentlemen, this is Lee, the musician. Lee, do you have a last name? Lee isn't exactly going to fit our marquees, asked Nathan. No, it's just Lee, said Orpheus. Lee. Is that Southern, like Robert E. Lee? asked Frankie. No, he responded. Then what is it? Does it really matter what it is? He's proven his ability to draw a crowd. Would any of you truly care where he's from? Now, let's get to cards. The game is five card. No wilds, no draws, unless I catch one of you cheating. Eurystice smiled at his joke. The dealer began to shuffle cards out to each of the players. Don't get me wrong. I'm not asking because I don't want to hire him. I'm asking because I need to sell him. And with a name like Lee, I'm going to need a little more. Some kind of backstory to sell the whole thing. So Lee, where are you from? Nathan asked. America, said Orpheus. It's okay, Lee. I trust these men. You can tell them the truth. Eurystice assured him. I'm from Hong Kong. My mother was British and my father was Chinese. You don't look Chinese. I don't feel Chinese. I don't feel British. I've never felt any kinship to either nationality. They didn't want me, so I left them to fight amongst themselves. Now I live here in America, a place where sometimes, in the right company, I feel at home. Orpheus explained. He looked at Eurycity and smiled. A man with no country? I could sell that. Nathan speculated. I have a country. It's America, Orpheus replied. Here's the deal, Lee. This bar is too small. Every time you play, it gets packed to the point where no one can come in. And the women that are most of the crowd aren't drinking. I appreciate the hard work you've done, but I'm going to have to let you go, explained Andrew. However, I'm not leaving you out in the cold. Luke helped me arrange this poker game. Frankie and Nathan are interested in picking you up, but they have plans of their own. Andrew threw his cards down, folding his hand. Nathan looked at his whole cards, then made a small bet. I would like you to play on Saturday and Sunday matinees to begin with. If you can fill the house, then we'll see about moving you up to the evenings. Nathan explained. But you're going to need a band. The player piano gag is cute, but I'd like to see what you could do with real backup. 
A band? Other musicians? I don't have a band, Orpheus said as he set his money out to cover the bet. That's where I come in. If you play the parrot, then the parrot's band will play with you at the northern stage. Frankie set his bet on the table. Don't you need your band? asked Orpheus. You'll be playing the matinees. When you're done, you and the band will return to the parrot and play there, Frankie added. All right. I want 15% of the ticket sales from the theater, and every performance at the bar I want $2 for myself and a dollar for each member of the band. Orpheus said, as Eurysthe smiled. Not a chance. 15% is outrageous. Nathan folded his hand. Then what would be acceptable? Asked Orpheus. I'll pay you 50 cents per performance. I make more than that here, on tips, and I don't anticipate the patrons of your theater are accustomed to tipping in the middle of a performance. If you want me to play for you, I can do it for 10% of the house, plus you pay for my room here and one meal a day. Orpheus countered. You can stay at the Parrot. It'll make things easier, Frankie offered. I appreciate that, but I like it here. The food is good, and the company is better. Orpheus again smiled at Eurysthe. Five percent, plus one percent for each member of your band, and I will pay for your room here. Food is on you, Nathan offered. That seems acceptable. Orpheus shook Nathan's hand. It's not acceptable for me, Frankie added. I'm not paying you two dollars a show, especially if I have to pay the band a dollar each. That makes seven dollars for each performance. You're good, but you're not worth that. You're wrong. I am worth it. But if you don't think so, then I don't see why I should play for you. You'll still need my band. All right. I'll do a dollar fifty per performance, but I get Mondays and Tuesdays off. Luke! Where did you find this con man? If I were smart, I'd walk away from this. All right, China boy, you have your deal. You better fucking be worth it. Frankie held out his hand and shook Orpheus's. Orpheus turned over his whole cards. He had a full house. As the night went on, the game continued. Frankie was out first. He tipped his hat and went home. Andrew was second. He stayed in the bar cleaning up and taking care of the books. Eurysthe lured Nathan into a trap and eliminated him. Nathan smiled, slapped Orpheus on the back, told him to come by on Friday. Only Orpheus and Eurysthe remained. Eurysthe dismissed the dealer and took the cards for himself. Thank you. I don't know how to repay you. Why are you helping me? Asked Orpheus. I feel guilty. I know you were going up to Denver to catch up with your friends. It's been over a month. You've stayed here to teach Edgar English, and you never asked anything for it. You have the money for the carriage by now, and if I had been a good friend, I would have bought your ticket for you and put you on that stagecoach weeks ago. So, this is me repaying you for what you've done for me. I can't tell you how it feels to be able to talk to that kid for a while. Half of what he says is nonsense, but at least it's nonsense I can understand. Thank you. Eurysthe explained. Of course. I was going to stay. I told you I would. You don't get it. Just when I thought I had a family, I lost them. All but that kid. And I couldn't talk to him. 
You gave me back my family, and I'm still being selfish. I helped you tonight, but by accepting my help, I made sure you stayed in town a little longer. So you don't go praising me for my altruism. I did what I could to keep you here, and you fell for it. I like it here. I feel like I belong here. I've never really felt like I belonged anywhere. But here, with you, I feel... Don't get all sappy on me. Here, one last hand. Eurycity shoved what was left of his money onto the center of the table. Orpheus followed suit, pushing the other half of his knight's winnings. High card takes it. Eurycity dealt two cards face down. One for him, one for Orpheus. He set the deck aside and flipped his card over, revealing the Jack of Hearts. Orpheus turned his card over. It was the King of Hearts. Well, <laughs> looks like it's your night, Lee. Eurycides stood from his chair and put his hat on. Andrew, have you got a spare room? He asked. Andrew rummaged around beneath the bar for a second, then came up with a spare key and threw it to Eurycides. There's no point in going back to my cabin now, Lee. Why don't you come up with me when you're ready? The sun is almost up, and I don't want to disturb Edgar. With you? Yeah, we'll let the kids sleep. All right. Orpheus agreed. He began stumbling over himself as he tried to organize the money. It was $25. Mostly change. Andrew handed him a bag. Orpheus scooped the money into it. He dropped a few nickels and bent down on the floor to pick them up. Four men walked into the bar. Andrew looked up and was about to ask them to leave when they grabbed Eurycity by the arms and pinned him against the bar. What the hell? Let me go, you fuckers! Eurycity yelled as he struggled against them. Take his gun away from him, instructed an older man with a tattered blue uniform. You thought we forgot about you. What were your words again? Am I ready to die for my glorious war? Coward! Let me go and I'll kill you if that's what you want. Eurycity tried to kick away, but the man held him fast. They pulled his gun from his holster. The other man looked at it, threw it on the ground, and then stomped on it. Its handle broke, and the cylinder popped out. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Looks like your gun is broken. What will you do? Will you fight for your war with your fists, or prove that you're a coward and walk away? They let him go. But then, they stood back, surrounding him. Eurycity brought up his fists. You think I can't beat you? You think the four of you can take me? Well, come on, then. Eurycity began swinging, but he was immediately overwhelmed. The four men took turns punching him, then threw him back up against the bar. Stop! called Orpheus from behind them. They turned to look at him. Stay out of this rut, the older man said. I'll give you twenty-five dollars to walk away. Orpheus held out the bag. If you got twenty-five dollars, we're gonna kick the shit out of this rebel trash, and then we'll take your money anyways. If you don't want to find yourself on the floor next to him, I suggest you put that bag down and leave now. The man explained. This is your last chance. Please, just take the money and leave my friend alone. Orpheus offered. Fuck you, Pipsqueak. His ass is mine, and so is yours now. The old man, in the blue tattered uniform, 
began to walk toward Orpheus. Orpheus threw the bag at him, then ran to him and kicked him in the chest. He staggered back and fell. The other two men came around the other side of Orpheus. As the third helped the older man up, Eurycity reached down and picked up his broken gun. Orpheus let the men surrounding him swing, but he dodged them both and then began punching them. He struck back and forth between the two men. When the man on his right tried to grab him, Orpheus stepped aside and kicked him in the shin. He lost his balance and began to fall. Orpheus spun and, jumping up, kicked the man on his left in his jaw. His head flew back, his eyes went glossy, and he fell. The man to his right tried to stand, but Orpheus kicked him in the head and he fell unconscious on his friend. Eurycity took the butt of the broken Confederate pistol and used it as a club against the one helping the old man up. The younger man turned, holding his hand on his head. Eurycity pulled back to hit him again with the gun, but he grabbed Eurycity's wrist and took the gun from him. He threw it across the bar. Eurycity, with a foot against the bar and all his weight, he pushed the man forward until they both ran into the table and tumbled onto the ground. The older man was up on his feet again. Orpheus stepped up to him. Holding out his hand, he beckoned the man forward. Snarling, he came after Orpheus. But Orpheus ducked his blows. He kept dodging the older man, not throwing any punches of his own, just letting the man become frustrated as Orpheus proved to be untouchable. Stand still, you putrid little horsefly! The man snarled at Orpheus. If you insist, Orpheus answered. He stood his ground, and the man came towards him. He threw a punch. Orpheus caught it and spun the man around. He tripped him as he went past. Then Orpheus picked up a chair and slammed it into the man's back. With a groan, the man collapsed onto the floor. Eurycity was still struggling on the ground when he got his feet under the last man and pushed him away. They both rolled over and then stood as quick as they could to face each other. Orpheus came up behind the man and tapped him on the shoulder. Eurycity watched in question as his opponent turned to face Orpheus. Orpheus punched him in the stomach. As he doubled over, Orpheus put his shoulder beneath him and lifted him into the air. He pushed him up, flipped him over, and slammed him back into the ground. Orpheus stood waiting, ready. He watched the men stagger back to their feet, each of them stumbling like they were drunk. Well, that was fun. Are we ready to go again? Orpheus asked the men, but they headed for the door, backing away. When they were all gone, Orpheus turned to Eurycity. Eurycity slapped him across the face. What the hell, Lee? He asked, face red in anger. I thought you could use the help. Orpheus tried to explain. Not that, you lying piece of shit. You're the goddamn Colorado kid, aren't you? The Colorado kid? The Colorado kid is dead. There is no Colorado kid. Come with me. Eurycity grabbed Orpheus by his shirt collar and drug him up to the room he had just rented. He pushed him onto the bed and then turned and locked the door behind them. I believed you. I trusted you with Edgar, and now I find out you've been lying to me the whole time. God, I'm such an idiot. Why does everybody I care for lie to me? Eurycity paced back and forth. 
wasn't a lie. No? What was it, then? It was an abstraction of the reality we live in. An abstraction? Yes. If you want to see it that way, I was the Colorado kid. But in another way, I wasn't. I wasn't even the original kid. There was one before me. The Colorado kid was a fictional character my friend Henry came up with. He was a role I played, and now he's dead. I'd rather he stayed that way. You could have told me the truth. It is the truth. Just like it's the truth that the Reaper is dead. Euricity turned to Orpheus and once again grabbed him by the collar. What do you know about the Reaper? I know that you were him. I know that you were the soldier in grey on the roof of the dress shop the day your father was killed at the bank. I know that you were the woman in blue I helped sneak past the guards so that she could get her horse. Edgar didn't understand everything about you, but between the two of us, we figured you out. I know who you are, Luke. What do you mean, you know who I am? You are my friend. A man who likes a good steak and a glass of whiskey. A man who loves his son and would do anything for him. A man who has fought and killed too many people for too long. A man who is looking for a place of peace. A man who at some point in his life wasn't a man. Eurycity didn't answer him. He just stepped back and stared at him. Not everything in the world is as black and white as truth and lies. Sometimes, what seems like opposing ideas can both be true at the same time. I was the Colorado Kid. The Colorado Kid is dead. I am not. Luke, I fought so many people for so long, but it wasn't who I was. I'm tired of fighting. I want to find a place of peace, like you, with you. Orpheus stood from the bed and walked towards Eurycity. I didn't stay in town to teach Edgar English. I didn't stay in town so I could be some great musician. I stayed in town, because if I did, I could be near you. That's it. That's the unabstracted truth. Orpheus placed his hand on Eurycity's cheek. Henry once told me, At some point, you have to drop all the pretense. At some point, you have to stop pretending. Admit you love somebody and make your move. This is me making my move. What does that mean? Asked Eurycity. It means this. Orpheus had to stand on his toes so he could kiss Eurycity. Eurycity backed away. Stop. I don't know what you want from me. I want to belong somewhere for once. I want to be yours. I want to belong to you. Lee, you have to understand. I will never be your wife. I don't need one. I never wanted one. But from here on out, wherever you go, I want to go with you. I don't know what that makes us. I don't think it matters. And if some day we find the right words to define who we are to each other, they will simply be an abstraction of the truth. They will always fall short of reality. They will never be able to define my love for you. God damn it, Lee. I don't know if I can trust anything you're saying. If you mean this, then you can never leave me. 
This won't be an in-one-day, out-the-next kind of relationship. You will be there for me, and you will be there for Edgar. I won't break his family again. Wherever you go, I will follow. And you'll never lie to me again. I will never lie to you again. Orpheus promised. Eurycity placed his hand on the back of Orpheus's head and pulled him forward, kissing him. He put his hand on his chest. He pushed him to the edge of the bed until he fell into it. Don't say anything. Just get undressed, Eurycity instructed, and Orpheus obeyed. Paris once asked Eurycity if he and Orpheus ever had a wedding. He said no, but he described to her this night. He told her about the vow, and that to him this was his wedding night, the day after which he considered himself married, the day after which he was fated to die. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee, artwork by Helen Lee, performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the L.A. LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.